Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Bioptimizers. And I have to say, they've done it again. They've just released their new and improved formula for Magnesium Breakthrough, which is the most powerful magnesium supplement on the market today. The product was already amazing, but they have continually researched and improved and iterated. And this is their fourth generation formula, which means it's now gone through even more potent and effective testing. And it's even stronger for reducing stress, improving sleep and boosting energy. If you've already taken Magnesium Breakthrough, you'll want to try the new formula as soon as you can because it now includes cofactors like B6 and manganese that help with the absorption of magnesium. And if you've never tried Magnesium Breakthrough before, now is the perfect time and here's why. For the deepest healing of many health problems, Dr. Mark Circus says there's going to be only one answer and that answer is magnesium. So why does he say that? Two reasons. First, magnesium is involved in 80% of the body's metabolic reactions. And second, about 75% of people are not getting enough magnesium. So this is a much bigger problem than most people think, because when you don't get enough magnesium, you suffer from poor sleep, low energy, and higher stress levels, all which deplete your magnesium even more. In every bottle of Mag Breakthrough, you get seven unique forms of organic, full-spectrum magnesium, which can dramatically improve your health, your sleep, and your stress. And because it supports mental wellness, it can help you finally feel like yourself again. It's just two capsules a day, and you'll be amazed at the results. There's an exclusive offer just for you by going to magbreakthrough.com slash wellnessmama and using the code wellnessmama during checkout to save 10% and get free shipping. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash wellnessmama and the code wellnessmama. This episode is sponsored by Native Path and in particular, their grass-fed collagen, which is my go-to right now. I like using collagen because it helps replenish the body's natural collagen levels, which can decline with age. And our modern diets are often low in these important compounds found in collagen that we used to get in larger amounts from natural sources like broths. Collagen is great because it's a super convenient and easy way to get these benefits. It's flavorless and it dissolves easily in hot or cold liquids. So it's easy to add to coffee, soup, smoothies, or really any food or drink. And every scoop of Native Path grass-fed collagen is consistently formulated with 10 grams of the highest quality grass-fed type 1 and type 3 collagen, which are the ones that make up 90% of all the collagen in our bodies, which is critical for maintaining skin, hair, nails, lean muscle metabolism, digestion, and so much more. So check out a special deal on Native Path grass-fed collagen by going to wellnessmama.com go slash native collagen. Again, that's wellnessmama.com slash go slash native collagen. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end. And this episode may get a little controversial, but I wanted to share it because I'm talking about certain things that have really been helpful to me in my own personal healing journey. And since sharing my own story about that, I believe it was episode 309, I received so many follow-up questions from you guys about specifics on the types of therapies. I've had people on to talk about somatic therapies, and I wanted to talk about this piece that was also extremely helpful to me. And like I said, it does get a little bit controversial, but I'm here with a dear friend of mine. His name is Tucker Max, and if you know anything of his history, he has quite a colorful one in the beginning, and I think this makes his story even more profound. He shares very openly about many aspects of that today and a lot of his firsthand experience, and he's also someone who has now devoted a large amount of his time to helping 
find and connect people with the resources to actually access these type of therapies. For context, we're talking about certain substances, specifically MDMA-assisted psychotherapy in particular in this episode, and how this is in clinical trials. There's an organization called MAPS that is spearheading a lot of the efforts around this, and it is being studied for its use in therapies. And he calls this potentially the most significant finding in psychotherapy and psychology ever. And I can definitely see the case for that and would probably echo that sentiment, how in certain studies, they're studying people with treatment-resistant PTSD, people like war veterans or those who have had severe assault and trauma, who are resisting medications, normal types of therapy, who basically have tried all the other options and are often in these studies seeing 80% complete recovery from PTSD, um, that after a certain amount of time in this therapy, they're no longer even meeting the diagnostic criteria for PTSD anymore and no longer needing ongoing treatment. That's what's beautiful about some of these is they actually help you to feel, interact with, and resolve the feelings and the source of these problems rather than just bypassing them. So um, like I said, this is a pretty, a little bit controversial, very vulnerable and personal episode. I share some of my own experience. Tucker shares quite a lot of his, as well as other stories he has permission to share. If you have experienced some sort of trauma or are feeling like this is something that you might want to consider, there's a lot of great background information in this episode, as well as some practical resources. And there are also many links for those in the show notes for this episode at wellnessmama.fm. So without further ado, let's join Tucker Max. Tucker, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Katie. Well, I'm really excited to get to chat with you and probably we're going to go in several different directions today, but you and I've had some personal conversations on some things that have helped both of us in our own journeys and in processing certain things. And I've shared before on this podcast about my history with sexual assault and a lot of the things I did in working through that. And one of those things that I shared about was the use of certain psychedelic substances and how they personally impacted me. I know that you also have both a lot of research experience and firsthand experience in this realm as well. So to start a little broad, maybe can you just give us some background on your own experience and what led into that? Yeah. So psychedelics have been game-changing for me in almost every way. In fact, I, I tell people they're probably the most important thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm married with four kids and you know, my wife. And so like people are like, well, how can they be more important than, you know, your family? I'm like, well, I probably wouldn't be married uh, without the work I'd done from psychedelic medicine. And I would definitely be a, a way worse father. Right. So um, the things I value the most uh, in a lot of ways I still have, and they're amazing because of the work I did on psychedelics. So about four years ago, it's almost exactly four years ago. I uh, did my first MDMA therapy and I've had friends who'd done it like pretty well-known people uh, who'd been doing this for years and telling me, Oh, you should go do ayahuasca or you should do mushrooms or blah, blah, blah. And like, I don't know, for a long time, I was just like, I just didn't, I heard them, but I wasn't listening. Right. I wasn't ready uh, for a lot of different reasons. One, I was like, uh, I think I was a child of, uh, I'm not, a, I think I was a child of the eighties, you know? So I remember dare and all that like propaganda and I totally bought it. Uh, I was like, Oh yeah, drugs are bad. And it's true. When I was growing up, everyone I knew who did drugs was a loser. And so it was like, like that made sense. Right. And so I never, you know, I, I wrote famous books that sold tons of copies about drinking, hooking up and partying, but I never did drugs, just alcohol and, and fun. That was it. But then I saw a lot of my friends get into that field. Some, 
and and really see improvement. And then as I did, I did a lot of talk therapy for years, which helps. It helps some, but it wasn't. Um, it was like giving me a map of my mind, but not walking the territory. Right? It's like I knew what I was feeling, why I was feeling it, the connections between everything, but I wasn't feeling what I was feeling, if that makes sense. And one of my close friends, not famous at all, just some dude uh, who he did MDMA therapy. And I saw the change in him. And it was remarkable. And I was like, that's what I want. And so um, he connected me to his guide. We were actually doing a book for this person. Uh, her name is Ann Other, which is, you know, a fake name. She's a, a, a pretty well-known psychotherapist in New York and uh, has been leading people on MDMA sessions for two decades underground, right? And so she wrote a book about that um, and and what those sessions were like. And I, I did my first session with her and it was, I mean, uh, Katie was so transformative. Like I, I remember when the medicine hit me, Right. You know, you, I went to her place um, with my wife who came with me. She didn't do a session, but she was just there, you know. And, um, you know, you lay on the sofa, you put on an eye shade, you take the, the medicine. And it took about an hour and a half, honestly, for, for it to hit me or for me to feel it. But when it hit, I mean, my God, I felt I felt the deepest love I'd ever felt in my life. Like I I realized I had never actually felt love before. Like I didn't know I could feel that. And uh, it was overwhelming. I was crying, telling my wife I loved her. And I did love her, but like, it was like, I didn't realize how much I loved her. I didn't realize how deep I could feel. And so like that, you know, I, I went on that journey. And then then all the emotions I had pushed away and ran from my whole life started coming up. Uh, the fear, the pain, the sadness, the grief. Oh, the grief. And it was a lot. And so over the next of the, the next four years, I've spent a lot of I've probably done 10 to 15 MDMA sessions. And then I've done some other psychedelic medicines, psilocybin, LSD, ketamine. Um, and I we talk about all that. It's I I mean, I've lost 25 pounds and not didn't change my diet or workout. Ten times I'm so much happier, I'm so much more content. I'm so much of a better father, a better husband, a better person. Everything in my life is better. And it's not, the thing is, these are not magic pills. The medicine, the psychedelic didn't do anything. It's not like I took this and I was like, everything's great. No, no, that would that'd be cool. But it's not how it worked. It's more that what they did is they helped me unlock my emotions, feel my feelings, face my issues. They were a tool, right? Like, I have a house. I use a hammer to build a house. Building the house is the point, not the hammer. A lot of people, I think, focus on, oh, yeah, it's the the, meta, the the pill. It's not the pill. The pill just helped me do the emotional work to get to where I am. Is that, is that, is that kind of what you're looking for? Or? Yeah, I think that's a great jumping in point because, like you, I was very against drugs for a very long time. And I had kind of just lumped everything in that general category. And I was very much the like straight A, extremely neurotic, motivated kid in high school. But I have seen the same thing where I was less afraid of alcohol, which objectively is much, much more dangerous for your body. And it's something I largely avoid now as an adult, just so I don't feel good on it. But I feel like our society has made alcohol an acceptable poison. 
and kind of stigmatize these other substances that, to your point, are tools. And like any tool can be used incorrectly. And a lot of people maybe have misconceptions about some of these substances because they've seen them used only in a party setting or they've seen times where they can go wrong or where not with MDMA specifically, but like overdose with other types of substances. And so those are all things to be aware of. But I also think it's important to talk about things like MDMA now being in clinical trials for things like PTSD and the dramatic results they're seeing with veterans who are having treatment resistant PTSD, then having these massive changes and then becoming, to your point, better dads and able to exist in relationship and have cohesive relationships. I think what really stood out to me and that I think about a lot with my own experience of this is, like you said, they're not, it's not that these substances are fixing something, but they help you access parts of you that if, especially in my case, if you have trauma, you're very good at locking down. And so you can either completely ignore or just not have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I think of the Carl Jung quote of, until you make the subconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. And I think these often just help kind of remove that veil in a way that just pure talk therapy often has trouble accessing, especially if you have a reason to not want to access those things and they don't feel safe. But I do think this is going to be maybe a newer concept or one that like seems a little scary for a lot of people listening. So I'd love to keep going deeper into maybe talk a little bit about how it's being used in clinical settings and how these are often assisted sessions with someone who's a trained professional. Yeah. So a big part of the reason I did this to people who don't know this world, it can seem like what the hell you go and doing drugs with some weirdo. That's actually what I thought like six, seven, eight years ago. I was like, how the hell would I go do some weird uh, drug with some kooky shaman in the forest? Or what the hell are you talking about? Right? Like, If that's your mindset, I get it. I used to be there. And then uh, even four or five years ago, there was a ton of research being done into it. And I actually looked, I think at that point, MAPS had finished the stage two clinical trials and had not started stage three. And so MAPS is an organization um, that uh, you, you can look them up that essentially has led the, the push to legalize psychedelics as medicine, right? And so um, they're a great organization. And the stage two trials, if I remember correctly, I'll, 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 the numbers I'm quoting are not exactly right, but they're close enough. I think there was like three different trials of about 20 to 30 people apiece uh, done around the world and on people with severe, untreatable PTSD, meaning that they had gone through, you know, done SSRIs and, and EMDR and talk therapy, every other tool that's, that modern psychiatry and psychology have to treat trauma and uh, th- didn't work. Treatment resistant uh, uh, PTSD. The, so the, the, mainly they were uh, sexual assault survivors and war veterans, although there were some other types in there. And um, they saw an 80, for, for for a lot of the stage two clinical trials, they saw an 80% cure rate, not a like, not a, a, a alleviation of pain rate. The mean, cure rate meaning the people who went through three guided sessions, so kind of like what I described with, you know, a therapist or two in the room with you, you know, you, you take about four or five hours to go through the whole thing, meaning that after about three to three months to a year after their three sessions, they no longer met the clinical definition for PTSD, right? So someone who went to war or got raped and it was so horrific that they were, uh, nothing was helping them and they were borderline non-functional was now cured that that there's a good argument to be made that this is the most remarkable finding in the history of psychology period like it's it, 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 there's a great book about this called um 
uh, A Dose of Hope by Dr. Dan Engel, who's one of the like researchers and people leading this charge. The book's a novel. It's a parable about what it's like for a regular person to kind of do three MDMA sessions. And, but at the beginning, in the intro, he kind of writes about this and summarizes uh, where it is. And so once I kind of saw that research, I was like, oh. And then, honestly, I dived into the history of psychedelics and I was like oh hold on everything I've been taught is bullshit right like if you uh there's a great series just came out on Netflix um how to change your mind Michael Pollan wrote the book how to change your mind they did a Netflix series he dives deep in the history I I honestly I don't think Pollan does a very good job explaining what psychedelics do and why to use them in trauma he does an awesome job detailing the history of psychedelics and why they're illegal and and essentially the government control and suppression, um, uh, I mean, all boils down to Nixon playing politics and trying to um, essentially defeat his political rivals. I know that sounds crazy. Go watch, either go watch it on Netflix or read the book. It's nuts. The whole history is nuts. And so once I read that, I was like, oh, okay. So a bunch of people were using these medicines like, like 60, 70 years ago, really successfully to treat people with trauma. They, they were made illegal by asshole politicians essentially and the data now is it just as good as it was 60 years ago well hell why would i not do this plus but honestly katie for me the thing was seeing my friend the change in my friend like that was the thing because you know data is data whatever studies are studies seeing my friend go from neurotic and anxious and in constant pain to like calm and content and happy was like it was like and he wasn't, this is not the type of dude who was trying to push this on anyone else. Like he did this and I was like, like that, th- that's all the proof I need, you know? And so then now I've done it and it's like, and I've got dozens and dozens of my friends have done this now. And I've seen the results so many times. My guess is in 20 years, we're going to look back on this period and be like, my God, like what took us so long and why were we waiting? And this is, the, like I said, the most remarkable, most important thing I've ever done in my life is using these tools to deal with my issues. Yeah, I would put them very high up on my list as well. And you mentioned that feeling of unconditional love. And that seems like a common experience for many people, especially the first time that they experience it, is to realize the depth of love that they're capable of feeling. For me, the dramatic part that I felt, because I already had kids at this point, and I knew I felt that feeling of unconditional love for my kids. And it was the first time that I was able to actually like turn that and feel it for myself. And I think that that actually was one of the mainly, the really big pivotal moments for me, because until that point, I had, without knowing it, really kind of created these problematic loops where I was doing things that were detrimental to my body without realizing it and trying to like punish myself into looking or being a certain way. And just that shift, and it was that day and it shifted of being able to feel unconditional love shifted my motivation from then doing things because out of love for myself and love for my body, which made it no longer a fight. And it was just drastic to your point of how actions can change so much from one time of doing that. Uh, I think it's also important to talk about because it can be so dramatic, the preparation and then the integration afterwards. Because like you said, these can stir up emotions that have been long held down and that doesn't always feel like a comfortable process. And I know I can speak a little bit to the physiological stuff you can do to help optimize brain chemistry for it. But I know that there's a lot that goes into making sure you're ready for the experience and then even more importantly, integrating afterwards. Yeah. So it's a great point. One of the main questions I get from people is, um, because uh, I was one of the first, not the first, but I was one of the very first people who were 
kind of public to talk about this publicly and to admit that I did it three years ago. I wrote a piece. It's on my website. It's on TuckerMax.com. Or you can just Google Tucker Max MDMA. I wrote a piece about my first two experiences on MDMA and what they were like. And so I had a flood of people reach out to me um, asking, you know, questions and whatever. And then I just released a piece like the beginner's guide to psychedelic medicine to kind of help people who are thinking about this or want to know more to, to understand it from a true, like, I don't know anything about this. Take me step by step through what I need to understand. Because here's, I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to take a long way to get there. The problem in this space is that most of the people who really know psychedelics deeply and understand how to use them as medicine are people who have been doing that for 20 or 30 years. And so they've forgotten what it's like to be a beginner, right? And and a lot of them, honestly, when I first got into this space, I was like, you sound like a fucking kook. (laughs) You just do. Like, Like, I'm like, what are you even talking about integration? What? Like, none of it made sense. Because a lot of different reasons, right? And so, um, all right. So, Kate, you brought up an amazing point. If you're thinking about doing this, the most important thing to understand is that it is not a magic pill, right? Like, you don't just take MDMA or psilocybin and everything's better. It doesn't make your pain go away. In fact, it's the opposite. What it done correctly, what happens is you feel your pain, Right? Most things that most people do are designed to prevent them from feeling their emotions, especially painful emotions, right? Most people, like, hey, how many people do we know uh, in all the mastermind groups we're in, super successful, busy all the time? And you know, well, the reason they're busy all the time is because they don't want to, if they stop, they would feel some emotion they don't want to feel. Sadness, loneliness, grief, emptiness, whatever. Totally. And candidly, I was that for a very long time using productivity to avoid having to face those things. And then I was worried I was going to like lose my edge if I let go of that. Exactly. Right. A hundred percent. I was a hundred percent. I wrote books about drinking and hooking up with tons of women and drinking too much and partying and all. And yeah, I mean, there's a part of that that's fun, but why was I doing that? Cause I didn't want to feel any of my emotions and those are great ways to avoid emotions. Right. And so uh, that's just the truth. I mean, it's like, it doesn't got good or bad, just the reality. And so what psychedelics do at their core is they bring forward the stuff you're running. Okay. That's going to be hard. That's not not easy. And so getting ready for that means what in the psychedelic literature in this space is called integration, right? So on, let's say I do an MDMA session, right? And I feel my mom was not really around for me much and didn't want me as a kid. Right. And so uh, you can imagine that produced a lot of big emotions for me as a kid. And as a kid, a small child, you can't deal with big emotions. I pushed them away to survive. Right. Not even consciously, unconsciously sort of. And so like on what I remember one MDMA session specifically, I felt like I was feeling the grief of the world. It, It wasn't, it was probably mine. Right. All mine. But like, um, it was overwhelmed. I thought I was going to die from grief. Now, this is in the middle of the set. It was so much grief. I had no idea I had that in me, right? And that absolutely, that was overwhelming to me as a child. And it was nearly overwhelming to me as an adult. So what was different? What was different was as an adult, I had an integration practice and I understood this was something like this could happen. 
and how to deal with it, right? And so integration means what are the things you're doing before and after your session to help you process and deal with the emotions that come up. So for me, my, my, the core parts of my, and I talk about this in the beginner's guide to psychedelics, but the core parts of my integration process is talk therapy is one, having someone I can talk to on a routine basis about this, that knows me, that is totally on my side in a supportive, non-judgmental way is really, really important, right? So that's one, not just any therapist, you got to find a good one that really connects with you and that you trust, right? And so I have one and and uh, he's been great. And then, I mean, basic, the rest, honestly, most of it for me is basic stuff. I journal every single day uh, for anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour, depending on the day. I get eight hours of sleep, right? I eat correctly. I get the exercise I need. I've set up my life, um, you know, tons of other things, acupuncture, et cetera. I've set up my life to understand that I have not just a thinking rational uh, mind, but an emotional mind. And I need to pay as much attention to my emotions as I do my thoughts, right? And so that's really what integration is, is understanding this. If you've never done psychedelic medicine, I'm telling you, it's so hard to understand ahead of time. This stuff, once you do it, you feel it and you get it. Most of the people I know that have done this do not build much of an integration practice ahead of time, not because they're stupid or unprepared. A lot of my friends, like you, Katie, super good entrepreneurs are like, have everything, all their ducks in a row and everything, but they don't even know what it means to take care of themselves. And what psychedelics do in a lot of ways is connect you to yourself, not just negative emotions, but you could love for the first time, like you said, you can love yourself, you care about yourself, you understand these things. And so you start to build the life that uh, represents that, right? And so it's important to understand this as part of the process. I wouldn't, I don't ever tell people you have to do all of this ahead of time, because for most people, it's almost impossible to really feel a lot of that or to do that until they feel start feeling those emotions. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think, yeah, you feel the need for the integration after much more easily once you've experienced it for sure. I think for me, it was helpful to know a little bit of the physiological side going in and just have taken things like ALA and magnesium ahead of time to prepare my brain chemistry for it. But I think the integration makes much more sense to your point afterwards for sure. Yeah. The, the, the place I see most people having problems the question I get all the time, what if I have a bad trip, right? And so this is where I see a lot of people having problems is they'll do a session and some really big emotions will come up. And then they they kind of half expect they can just like keep the emotions in the session. And they just go back to their regular life afterwards. That's it. If you don't want to change your life, I would not do psychedelic medicine because it's going to change your life, right? Now, almost certainly in positive ways, but let's not pretend that the positive ways are immediate because <laughs> sometimes they're not. What I like to tell people is that things are almost always, for most people, they're almost always going to be, they're going to get way more challenging before they get easier, right? I'll, I'm going to give you an example, Katie. So my, uh, I'll, I talk about this publicly because she's public about it. She's fine. My mother-in-law, my wife's mom, you know, most people are like the jokes. Oh, they can't stand their mother-in-law. I get along great with my mother-in-law. We, uh, <laughs> my wife and my mother-in-law, they fight. My mother-in-law, I get along fantastic. So she saw that she is like a red state country woman. You know, Fox News, MAGA, like that. She's very much that style. But nothing wrong with that. Just so you understand who she is. 
And um, she obviously like drugs are stupid. She thought therapy was for crazy people. She was very much like uh, that comes from that world. She saw the change in me after, you know, I was open with her. I told her what I did. And after about three, four months of seeing that, she told me she wanted to do MDMA therapy, which of course was like, what? <laughs> Granny? Really? And she she was serious. Like she did her reading. She she saw the change in me. She went and researched. She's like, yeah, I think I want to do this. And I was like, okay, cool. Like this can really help. And so uh, I went with her, you know, got a guide, of course. There's a lot of underground guides how to look and how to find them. And so uh, I, I got a guy uh, connected her to them. She set everything up. I, I went with her to kind of be moral support um, instead of her daughter, because they fight and whatever, and I don't have any issue with her. So during her session, so she you know took the medicine, of course, like, you know, after five minutes, she's like, I don't think it's working. And like, you know, she was so anxious. And the guy's like, Cindy has been five minutes. <laughs> and so um about an hour later, I literally visibly saw her. Yeah, she, she was a very tense woman all the time, right? Like kind of stooped like this. Saw her relax, like physically in a way I'd never seen her ever once in her life. And then she said, oh, wow, you're right. Tucker, you, the way you described it is so like she felt love. And she was like this amazing kind of five minutes of joyfulness. And then she got really quiet. And like really quiet. To the point where, like, I wondered if she was still breathing, like, dead. And then all of a sudden, she started kind of groaning. And then she started screaming. And, Katie, I don't just mean, like, a little screaming. Like, imagine the worst screaming you've ever heard in a horror movie, but worse. This was, like, this was the sound someone makes when they think they're dying. It was, and of course. I mean, we were in kind of a private place, but there were still other houses around where the guy did. And I'm like sitting there like, okay, well, the cops are going to come. Like she was screaming so loud and so intensely. I'm literally thinking up in my mind, okay, what do I say to the sheriff when he gets here? Because I'm not like trying to interrupt interrupt or anything. Like this is okay. This is what she's going through. Like I'll hold space with the guy. I'll be it. But and it was about 10 minutes maybe uh, of the worst screaming I've ever heard. Primal scream I've ever heard in my life. And then she shot up off the sofa, ripped her eye mask off. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone in shock, like true shock. I have because one time, uh, like I came up on a highway in this car wreck and it was like a bad one. And there were people like I've seen shock. She looked like those people after that horrible heart, car wreck, like her face, everything. And I grabbed her by the hand. I said, Granny, it's okay. You're okay. And she looked at me with, honestly, pure terror in her face. And she said, are you sure? And it's, it spooked me. So what came up for her, and this is actually not super common, but it definitely happens on MDMA therapy. She had been repeatedly, violently raped by family members, plural, as a kid. Like between the ages of, I think, about four and eight. And she had so suppressed it and pushed it away. And it came up right away on her first session, like an hour and a half in. That's what most people would call a bad trip. I will tell you that's actually probably the best thing that can happen. Okay. Which sounds crazy. Stay with me. Um, yes, it's like 
I mean, I, I sat in. It was so funny. Like I'd never sat. I'd done a couple sessions, but I never sat in one. So the first one I sat in, it was like kind of worst case scenario in a way, but best case. That's in her. That happened to her. The point of MDMA therapy is to bring that up so that she can then feel it and process it. And she did. She had to do. I mean, I don't know how many sessions she's done now. A lot uh, to really bring all that up and process all that. And it was honestly hell. It was hell for her to go through it. But the woman is now, she's lost, I think, 60 pounds or 80 pounds, something insane. She's a t- fundamentally different person in all ways. Like, she's, she's the type of person to share, like, Fox News and me. She doesn't care about politics anymore. Her relationship with her daughter, my wife, totally different now. She is like an She's almost like, uh, like a, like you know, like the the archetype of the sweet old granny. She was not like that before. Now she's like that, like the wise, calm old. She's just amazing. A bad trip is when emotions come up that you aren't ready for in a space that you can't handle. What she had, she was maybe not ready for, but it, she she could handle, and it was in a safe space. And she realized that's the work she had to do, and so she spent the next. You know, three years she got she got into therapy, talk therapy, like going three times a week or something crazy. She like dove deep into this, really realized, okay, this is this happened to me. This is real. I'm going to face this and I'm going to deal with this. But things got way, way harder. Right. And now she's out the other side and amazing. That is that is a very common scenario with this stuff. And that's what I mean when I say, like, things often get harder before they get easier. You know, that's what this medicine can do. So if you even I didn't have anything like no sexual abuse or anything, thank God. But like, that's what this medicine does. That's why you do this therapy. That's why you take this road. If you're not ready to do that or don't want to, cool, don't. No problem. You don't need to. There's no shame in this. It's not a thing you have to do. But if you're at that point in your life where you think, you know what, I want to face my stuff, whatever your stuff is, your stuff might not be that much, but whatever, your stuff is your stuff. And uh, this is a one of the best ways I've seen to ever deal with, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a great explanation of and reframe of the idea of a bad trip, because I think that does scare off a lot of people and certainly seems like different substances can cause different experiences of that processing. And so that's another important thing to be aware of. I think from my side, I was aware of what I needed to process, but I also, looking back, it's laughable, but I thought I already had. I was kind of in a place of like, oh, I don't need to emotionally deal with that. Like, I'm fine. I feel fine most days. I'm totally fine. I just have all these unresolved health issues that don't make any sense. And I carry all this extra weight, but obviously those aren't related. And that experiencing it, I realized not only are they related, but it was extremely intricately related for me. Can we talk a little bit about, you mentioned ketamine as well and psilocybin. Those obviously create a little bit different types of experiences, and I feel like they all have their place, but maybe you can speak to how those are used differently and maybe the the time and place for the different ones. Totally. So MDMA is, for most people, by far the best place to start. And MDMA is the best medicine for trauma. Like if trauma, if you dealt with, if you have suffered a lot of trauma, or you think you have or whatever, and you or you really want to focus on trauma, MDMA is kind of like the perfect medicine for that. Uh, there are other psychedelics, right? Uh, psilocybin, ma- magic mushrooms is very famous. I-, I consider that sort of like the multi-tool. Um, like you can use psilocybin for trauma. It- it'll work. Not, not 
always the um, the optimal choice, uh, just simply because mushrooms can be, they can feel very dark. If you have a lot of really dark, difficult trauma, mushrooms bring that up in a, can bring it up in a way that's uh, uh, very symbolic and associative and kind of scary at first if you're not used to it. So that happened to me. And so, uh, like, you want to be careful with those. Not, not bad or good, just different. Ketamine is a dissociative, right? Ketamine is legal. It's the only psychedelic that is fully legal in America right now. And ketamine is the best treatment. If you are suicidal, it will uh, almost always cure you of your suicidal ideation for at least a couple of weeks. Uh, also, it's great for chronic pain. So if you have some sort of pain issue, especially chronic pain that you can't f- tie to an actual cause, like, for example, I had a, a back injury that like was healed, but still lingered. It would hurt sometimes, but it was it was kind of ghost pain. Like, you, you know, like a, your body sometimes will carve a pathway of pain, a neural pathway. Like this area is associated with pain. And even when the area is healed, it still has phantom pain. Uh, it cut that. I'm, I had no issue with that. Ketamine is essentially a hard reset on a lot of the default mode network in a lot of ways. Um uh, that can be really useful. Ketamine is very difficult, though. Also, it's very rough. There's also LSD, which is fantastic for a lot of things. It's very intense. There's a lot of, of psych. Each one is kind of used for its own sort of thing. So um, for almost everyone, I usually recommend beginning with MDMA. One, because it's much easier to find really experienced, good guides for MDMA Two is that MDMA is, um, I like to say MDMA is your friend, right? It's very soft and gentle. So one of the reasons you put an eye shade on and you lay down during an MDMA session is because it is so soft and gentle that if you're like, you can take that and like go to, there's a, the whole rave scene was people taking MDMA and dancing and doing other things, right? Which probably what they were doing is processing a lot of trauma, but because they were moving and talking and being distracted, they didn't have to go that deep. So MDMA, you can essentially modulate the effects, right? If you take off your eye shade and sit up and start talking, the impact's going to go from like a 10 to like a two, right? That's not true on, on most psychedelics. Like it, when you're on ketamine, you're on ketamine. You don't, there's no coming out of that, right? Same with mushrooms and LSD. For the most part, when you're on a trip, it's like being on a roller coaster. Once the bar comes down and locks in and it starts moving, you're not getting off, right? Whereas MDMA is more like being in a car. You can pull it over anytime and get out, right? Yeah, you're still on the side of the road. You'll be feeling something, but you can you can definitely modulate the impacts quite a bit. And then also, MDMA doesn't have what the impacts that mo- doesn't usually have most of the impacts that most people associate with psychedelics. Like if you're doing psilocybin or LSD, you might see a lot of visual things, like a lot of weird, you know, walls moving, strange animals or things that you don't think are there. If you do very deep sessions, uh, you know, flowing colors, geometric patterns are super common on those. You don't really get much of that on MDMA. Simplistically, MDMA, when I do MDMA, I know my name, I know what time it is. I feel like I'm in my right mind, but just a very open state, right, emotionally. When I'm on uh, psilocybin or LSD, man, I'm in a different place. <laughs> it feels to me like something has been put into me that alters my mind. And I'm, again, I'm talking metaphorically. MDMA doesn't feel that way. And quite literally, in a biological sense, MDMA doesn't really, I don't believe it crosses the blood-brain barrier. I believe it triggers 
uh, your your brain to, or if it does, it does it very, very subtly. It triggers your brain to essentially dump all its, uh, serotonin and norepinephrine. Whereas, like it, the the um, most psychedelics are tryptamine derivatives, they cross the blood brain barrier and they actually really do create different responses in your brain. Now, not better or worse. I use psilocybin for therapy. LSD has been one of the most important things I've used for medicine. That tends to be more advanced, though. I'll get I'll explain simplistically, I'll explain why. LSD essentially rips the veneer off of reality and pushes your face into it. Right? <laughs> That's rough, man. Like if you're just thinking about casually trying this a little bit to kind of see, maybe work on some issues, LSD is not what you want to do. <laughs> LSD is like like it's like saying I want to learn UFC fighting, so I'm gonna go step in the ring against a champion to spar the first time. No, don't, don't do that. You need to learn the basics first. Get used to it, train a little bit, then you're ready to kind of play with the champs, right? You can do that. I mean, I know plenty of people who, for their first journey, decided to do ayahuasca, for example, and flew down to Peru and spent a week doing it in the jungle. All of those people, almost all of those people tell me, yeah, that was really rough. They spend the week, to be frank, and pissing and vomiting and see things and experience things that are very challenging for them. Now, if you want that, you can go get that. Not what I did. I had really good mentors who really knew psychedelics. And, you know, they told me all this. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn to swim in the kiddie pool, not in the deep end of the Pacific. Right? And so MDMA was, is the kiddie pool in a sense. And, and this is one of those things, honestly, where being kind and compassionate to yourself and taking it slow is by far the best medicine. You know, some things you're better off just jump in, going. In my experience and the experience that I've seen a lot, I've helped a lot of people start in this space. The ones who take it slow go in a path they can handle almost always, uh, I don't want to say do better in a judgmental sense. I just mean like, they find it a lot more rewarding and usually long-term a lot more beneficial. Like if you jump in the deep end and you can think you're ready, you're not ready, things can get worse, truly, like for real. Like this is, I, I don't want to say, oh, there's no risk. Everyone should do this. No, everyone should not do this. The, uh, no one should do this who isn't ready. And as in, in the, the deeper, more intense psychedelics are no joke. They are not things to do lightly. Yeah, absolutely echo that. And I would say it's the thing, certainly if you're even considering, do your research, I'll link to the guides you've written and to your experience with it, as well as some things I've written so that you guys do your research ahead of time. Um, I think also that you mentioned finding a good guide is really, really important to actually help guide the session and get the most out of it. Um, and I also agree MDMA seems like the gentlest because it seems to create a feeling of safety for many people. And often we don't want to touch these emotions because we don't feel safe doing that. And that also I had to learn to reframe is not a bad thing. My brain did that to protect me. And I actually, in those experiences, learned to feel the emotion, which even separate of substances, if you don't want to do these at all, learning to actually feel our emotions rather than resist them makes it much easier to let go of them. But I went through this kind of visualization process kind of intuitively where I felt those things and I recognized the protectiveness that they actually had and how they had served me through all those years. And I thanked them. Like I sort of visualized holding them in my hands, thanking them for keeping me safe and then telling them, you know, thank you for doing this. I don't need you anymore and letting go. And it felt like, like the feeling of freedom of that was very, very profound. And I found a quote later that 
seemed to resonate related to that that said, um, you know, forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and realizing the prisoner was yourself. And that's what I feel like I felt in those moments. This podcast is sponsored by Bioptimizers. And I have to say, they've done it again. They've just released their new and improved formula for magnesium breakthrough, which is the most powerful magnesium supplement on the market today. The product was already amazing, but they have continually researched and improved and iterated. And this is their fourth generation formula, which means it's now gone through even more potent and effective testing. And it's even stronger for reducing stress, improving sleep and boosting energy. If you've already taken Magnesium Breakthrough, you'll want to try the new formula as soon as you can because it now includes cofactors like B6 and manganese that help with the absorption of magnesium. And if you've never tried Magnesium Breakthrough before, now is the perfect time and here's why. For the deepest healing of many health problems, Dr. Mark Circus says there's going to be only one answer and that answer is magnesium. So why does he say that? Two reasons. First, magnesium is involved in 80% of the body's metabolic reactions. And second, about 75% of people are not getting enough magnesium. So this is a much bigger problem than most people think, because when you don't get enough magnesium, you suffer from poor sleep, low energy, and higher stress levels, all which deplete your magnesium even more. In every bottle of Mac Breakthrough, you get seven unique forms of organic, full-spectrum magnesium, which can dramatically improve your health, your sleep, and your stress. And because it supports mental wellness, it can help you finally feel like yourself again. It's just two capsules a day, and you'll be amazed at the results. There's an exclusive offer just for you by going to magbreakthrough.com slash wellnessmama and using the code wellnessmama during checkout to save 10% and get free shipping. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash wellnessmama and the code wellnessmama. This episode is sponsored by Native Path and in particular, their grass bed collagen, which is my go-to right now. I like using collagen because it helps replenish the body's natural collagen levels, which can decline with age. And our modern diets are often low in these important compounds found in collagen that we used to get in larger amounts from natural sources like broths. Collagen is great because it's a super convenient and easy way to get these benefits. It's flavorless and it dissolves easily in hot or cold liquids. So it's easy to add to coffee, soup, smoothies, or really any food or drink. And every scoop of Native Path grass-fed collagen is consistently formulated with 10 grams of the highest quality grass-fed type 1 and type 3 collagen, which are the ones that make up 90% of all the collagen in our bodies, which is critical for maintaining skin, hair, nails, lean muscle metabolism, digestion, and so much more. So check out a special deal on Native Path grass-fed collagen by going to wellnessmama.com go slash native collagen. Again, that's wellnessmama.com slash go slash native collagen. But yes, to echo what you said, this is not a thing I think that everyone should do or do unprepared or just do casually. It's it's a big tool and one that can be amazing, but understanding it going into it is important and having that preparation and also finding a good guide and a safe space to do this, which I think is one of the harder pieces potentially right now because though these are in clinical trials, they're not easy to access. They're not, certainly some of them are not legal yet, although I'm confident we're going to be getting to that point soon. So any advice for people on finding guides who know what they're doing, finding safe, like there are certainly those cautions to be aware of. Don't go buy this on the street corner and try to do it yourself. Right. Uh, it's a great question. So um, three years ago, when I wrote the piece about my first MDMA experience, I had literally hundreds of people reach out and ask me to connect them to Anne. 
who's the guy I used. Most guides, for obvious reasons, do not take uh, referrals from someone unless like they know, you know, like, like I and said to me, I'm happy. Anyone, you know, any friend of yours, I'm happy to take a referral. But if you don't know someone, don't send them to me. Of course, she's, I mean, she could go to jail, right? Like, which it seems so ridiculous. Like she'd go to jail. All she's doing is helping people heal their trauma, but whatever. But since that time, I've kind of, do- I had so many people reach out to me that I'm like, I can't just talk about this and not help them in some way. So um, the, there's a lot of underground guides in America. And I kind of, because I've just connections and whatever, I dove deep into the underground guide networks. And I found two guides who are both very good. One of them sat for me. She's fantastic. The other one sat for a ton of my friends, uh, very experienced. And they're willing to take blind referrals, meaning people uh, like they don't know. And so it aren't coming from a trusted source. So I'll make this offer to your listeners. If any of them want a referral to a, a, a guide, you can email me tuckermax at gmail.com or go through the form on my site, tucker, uh, tuckermax.com. And I will refer. I, I know a guide in New York and a guide in Nashville. Both fantastic. Both really specialize in MDMA and mushrooms. I know tons of other guys do other stuff, but they don't. None of them take blind referrals. So uh, I'm happy to to kind of help them that way. If you're not comfortable with that for some reason, cool. The other places I know you can look. There's a couple ways to find guides. One is um, Reddit. There's forums on um, psychedelics. You can, if you look there and, and DM enough people, you can probably find some. There are always almost always psychedelic association meetups in various towns. If you go to those, you can um, sometimes meet people. The other thing I would do is there's a, a website called Psychedelic Support. I think it's run by MAPS or MAPS offshoot organization. They have a database of therapists who are psychedelic friendly, right? Who, who help people with integration. If you go to them, most of them don't sit for people. Some of them actually do. But if you ask them if they know guides, you kind of have to be a patient. You don't just email them and say, hey, can you find me someone who give me drugs? <laughs> Find one to, to, that you like, be a patient. Once they know you and trust you, if they know someone, they'll often refer you uh, to them. Those are kind of the main ways I would know to find a guide. Now, the big question for a lot of people is like, how do I pick a guide? Because like, if, even if you find one, they may not be the right person. The short answer is, and I write about this in, in my uh, Beginner's Guide to Psychedelic Medicine, uh, but the short answer is I look for someone I trust. Right. Same with a, a talk therapist versus uh, in a medicine. It is. I don't just. Yeah. If a if a friend refers me and says, "Oh, you know, they've sat for me. They're great." That weighs heavily. That is by no means everything. Like, I, um, I'm going to do a boga next year, which is a, a very advanced medicine. I don't recommend that for anyone uh, beginner. But um, uh, there were three different guys I talked to, all very highly recommended by people I know and trust. One of them I did not resonate with at all. Like probably the most experienced and the one who had the best credentials. I it, it, not like it wasn't a judgment of that person. It was just like the way they approach life and the way they approach stuff just didn't resonate with me. Um, okay, cool. Another one was like, okay, like I probably could have gone with them. But then the third one, I just felt not a connection with like a romantic or friendship, just a trust for. I felt like I could put my life and my soul in this person's hands and they were going to be able to bear that weight, right? That's what I mean by trust. 
because look, doing this medicine is like, I mean, I, I the, you heard the story I told about my mother-in-law. Could you imagine if that had happened to her with people she didn't trust or in an unsafe place? As It, it could be re-traumatizing. It could be almost worse than not doing it at all, right? So if you listen to your gut as much as you can, and uh, the more you can find someone you trust, right? And, and uh, how do you determine? Ask them questions. Ask them, you know, uh, whatever you're worried about. Uh, have you? How many times have you done this medicine? You know, what came up for you? Where do you get it? Like, it's it's totally valid to ask an MDMA guide where they get their medicine. I mean, they may not say the exact person, but generally. Uh, how do you know it's pure, right? Like, whatever things you're worried about, ask, inquire, see what their answers are like. This is a weird space and it's not regulated right now. It's underground. It's illegal. So there's downside and upside. The downside is, you know, uh, all the obvious downsides, right? Unregulated people can do whatever they want. There are a ton of people out there who call themselves ayahuasca shamans who are frauds and clowns and should not be sitting for anyone. Uh, just straight, especially ayahuasca. You got to be very careful with, with ayahuasca shamans. But even the, some of the other medicines, man, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a shaman. Man, they've done... Drug, they do drugs with their friends a few times and call themselves a shaman. There's, those people exist. Make no mistake about it. Then on the other hand, though, because it's illegal, because there's a risk, the vast majority of people who are doing this are doing this because it's a real calling for them. Right? Like the two guys that I know that I'm willing to take blind referrals, they're both women. Those women, man, I, I would trust either of those women with my life. Like they're fantastic. They're beautiful people. They they are doing this because the medicine saved their lives and made all the difference to them. And so they're willing to take that risk to help other people on their journey. So like uh, that's the upside of it being illegal still, you know, is that the vast majority of guides are true believers, right? And so I would look for that. Find someone who you feel like is a true believer, who you feel like you can trust. And I can imagine some of the objections that come up for some people around this that I'd love to just touch on would be that either this, some people view this as like a form of escapism or bypassing and or people who just have kind of like I did early on that resistance to all things classified as drugs. Um, and so I'm curious if you have any other things you would say to those particular types of people. I know one thing I would say on the medical side is, especially with MDMA, it's not causing, like you said, the visualizations. It's not mind altering in that sense. And often, if you've been ever in a medical situation, you might have taken components of this already in a medical setting because they're widely used. Um, but anything else you'd add on that for people who are, that's their level of resistance? Yeah, that's a super good point. So there's a, a term for this in the psychedelic space. It's called spiritual bypass, right? In fact, I'm going to say, uh, Katie, I sh not should have. I was set. I was close to doing psychedelics two or three years before I did. And I went to this. The reason I didn't, I, I, I could use his name because he's a friend and I love him. But Aubrey Marcus is a good friend of mine, and um, uh, he would always come over for dinner. And this is, you know, he this is seven years, eight years. He's grown and matured so much since then. Um, but like at that point, he just would not shut up about ayahuasca. Ayahuasca this, ayahuasca this, that. You got to take ayahuasca. Aya, aya, aya. And like, and it's not like he was, he wasn't trying to sit for me. He wasn't trying to sell me anything. Like uh, literally, like he wasn't trying to get me to buy ayahuasca from him. But like the way he was pitching it 
was so over the top. And I know Aubrey well. And his life at the time, he was his life was a, a hot f***ing mess. And I'm like, dude, it, your life is such a mess. And you're pushing this so hard. Like, if you... If you told me to eat, I would starve. Like, I don't, not only do I not believe you, I'm going to do the opposite of what you say, right? Because he really was spiritually bypassing at that point. Now, I don't think he is now. I think that was just part of his journey. And, and like, he's an amazing dude. And and that's a part of journey. I went through a phase like that a little bit, not quite as bad, as, but a little, uh, you know, with the medicine. It's a super common thing for people to, especially when they're, like session two through session session six, let's say if they do a lot, people can feel like, because you make progress. And so once you get through the, the beginning hump and you start making progress, a lot of people can feel like they're a lot more enlightened than they are, subjectively. That to me is the real danger zone, is like, oh, wow, I made a little progress and everything's great. I get it. If you're worried about that, that's a valid worry. The way to deal with it is find really good guides, really good therapists, a really good integration system, and understand that this is probably going to be a five-year journey, right? To get to a, let's call it a a healed place in quotes. You're going to be way more healed uh, for every session, just about every session you do, right? So like, it's not like, it's not like there's nothing and then you cross a finish line in five years. No, it's a, it's a continuum. But I, at the beginning, told myself this will be a five-year journey, and I'm four years in, and it looks like I'm about right. I have no idea how far I am on my journey in terms of healing. I know I've come a long, long way, and it's amazing. And I don't really worry about five years or this or that or finish lines anymore. I'm at that point. But um, if you're put off by this, by a lot of the people who put on spiritual airs, I get it. Like, I'm not one of those people. I live on a ranch. Like I raise sheep and cows and kids though. Like I, I am, I, I carry a gun with me. Like I am the least, uh, like I don't, uh, all of the nonsense spiritual BS that that some of those people do. I don't do any of it. I don't believe in any of it. You don't have to, to use this medicine as an amazing tool to help you in your life. Yeah. I think that's a really important caveat. And I know we've gone through our time so, so quickly, but I know you have so many resources for this. There are also now many more through MAPS and through other organizations. I will link to all of those in the show notes so you guys can find those at wellnessmama.fm. I'll link to uh, Tucker's website as well if you want to reach out and contact him. Anything else that we haven't touched on that you think is important uh, background or understanding on this topic? And then I have a couple final wrap-up questions. Yeah. I mean, the the big one is honestly for most people... I hope I've been clear about this. And and I'm pretty sure Katie is too. I'm not telling anyone you should do this. Like this is not a sort of thing where it's like, there's no should here. There's no must. There's no have to. There's no got to. If you feel cold to this, then I would encourage you. I would invite you to explore it and see if it's right for you. Right. If you don't, that's okay. I was not called. I hate the term called is like one of those spiritual things that like I called means do you feel like it's right for you or not? I didn't feel like it was right for me for years, right? Like, like when I when Aubrey was pushing eye on me, I actually was right. I'm very glad I did not, did not do ayahuasca first. I've done ayahuasca since I did it about three years in. It was great for me three years in. Like, that's when I was ready for I, I would not have been ready early on. My gut was right. I, it's a good thing I resisted that, you know. So, if you're not called cool. No judgment, no shame. You may not, man, I know people, and Katie, I'm sure you do too. I know people who can get to this level of uh, of healing and feeling their emotions without having to use psychedelics. That's cool too. 
There's no issue with that. These these are just a tool. And I believe it is the best tool for most people in the West because our culture is so traumatized and so emotionally disconnected and bereft that it is a really good tool for a lot of people, not for everyone, don't have to do it. And please don't feel like my message is that. That my message is just if this is a thing you think you might want to do, I'm going to try and help you figure out the best way for you, not that you should. Yeah, I think that's a really great perspective. A um, couple last wrap-up questions. The first being if there is a book or a number of books that have profoundly influenced your life, and if so, what they are and why. Yeah, so we're going to talk about psychedelics. So, uh, so A Dose of Hope by Dan, Dr. Dan Engel. That's on Amazon. It's fantastic. It's a, it's a parable, so it's a really easy read. But really, we'll walk you through. If you're if you're thinking about MDMA, that is the book. You can read that book and nothing else, and you can make your decision. Um, staying on uh, psychedelics. If you don't, if you really want to dive deep into what integration looks like, how do I do the emotional work around therapy? There's a book called How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicole LaPera. Have you had her on your podcast, uh, Holistic Psychologist? No, but I would love to. You totally should. She's a, she's great. Like her, she's the. I don't think her book is the perfect way to go through it, but it is the best thing I've ever read to give someone a framework on what therapy actually means and how to do it in a way that works for most people, how to do the work. is really good. And she's coming out with a handbook for it too in a few months. And I don't know her actually at all. Like I haven't even met her or not. So I'm not, I know, I know Dan really well. I don't know her. And then the, the next book, if you want, um, if, a lot of people are like very suspicious about what's trauma. I haven't been to war. I wasn't raped. I don't have trauma. There's a whole conversation around trauma. I, I would recommend there's one book that, that is probably the best. It's called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Bessel van der Kolk. It's got like 20,000 reviews on Amazon. Just Body Keeps the Score, you'll see. That book walks you through the science of trauma. Right. It, it will blow your doors off if you don't know anything about this. Um, there's also books by Peter Levine, like uh, uh, How to Wake the Tiger and things like that. But Bessels is a place to start. If you're interested in this space, those are the three keystone books I would recommend. I will link to all of those as well. And lastly, any parting advice for the listeners that could be related to everything we've talked about or entirely unrelated? Katie, I don't know if I have anything else. Uh, well, thank you. That was perfect. And I think we went into some vulnerable and personal topics. I'm really grateful you were willing to share so openly about these. I think I've certainly seen the effects and how helpful they can be. I know you have as well. And to echo what you said, it's not that they're for everyone or that we're actively encouraging people to do this, but um, I felt it's worth a conversation because it has helped so many people, especially people who have PTSD or these more extreme versions and are aware of it and are actively trying to work through it and can't. Um, and I'm hopeful that the con conversations will continue and that the research will continue and that hopefully access to these things will get much easier in the next few years. Um, but for now, thanks for all the work you're doing around this and around education. And I feel like your personal journey has been quite amazing and that you sharing it so openly has been helpful to so many people. So thank you. Thank you, Katie. And thank you as always to all of you for listening and sharing your most valuable resources, your time, your energy, and your attention with us today. We're both so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time. And thanks as always for listening.